Hey, I'm Femi Redwood. I'm the host of this sort of new podcast called It's Okay to Say Gay. I'll explain why I say sort of new in a second. But first, a little about me. I live in Brooklyn with my wife and cat, and when my dad found out I was a lesbian, he legit took my car away as punishment. It was a 1989 Ford Escort. <laughs> FYI, parents, if you're going to take away your child's car, it should be nicer than a 1989 Ford Escort. It was the GT model, however. <laughs> and the voice you hear laughing is Andy Egan Thorpe. Hey, hey, I'm Andy. I'm a podcast producer and a comedian median. I am so fortunate because I never really had to come out of the closet. At 19 years old, I kind of just called my mother up and was like, hey, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> and boy, was she not shocked. <laughs> so I say this kind of new podcast because I basically took over a dormant one that existed long before me, but it needed a makeover and a new name. So after thinking of all the variations of the anti-trans bills and don't say gay laws, I decided on it's okay to say gay. And although it says gay in the title, I promise you this show is not just going to focus on the gay community. No, no, this is going to be an inclusive series and we're going to tell lots of impactful stories about everybody that falls under the beautiful LGBTQIA umbrella. This year will be the first in-person Pride since 2019. I'm excited, but there's mixed feelings because on one hand, I'm looking forward to hanging out with my wife and friends, but on the other hand, it feels wrong to celebrate when there's so many legislative attacks on LGBTQ people nationwide. And admittedly, in the past, there were some times at Pride celebrations where I would look around and it just sort of felt like Pride lost its way. What started as an uprising against police brutality, transphobia, racism, and homophobia decades later became a really expensive party where the most marginalized often felt left out. But during the pandemic, the lack of in-person events, new announcements overnight of events being postponed or canceled, combined with what was happening around the country, what was his name? George Floyd! What was his crime? It felt like Pride was returning to its activist roots. But now that we're back to in-person events, will Pride be more of a party or more of a protest? For years, activists have said the month of Pride felt less like equality and more like a commercial. Here's why. First, there was the rainbow washing. When companies slap a Pride logo up or some type of Pride-branded products, yet either donate to lawmakers who push anti-LGBTQ laws or who were silent on LGBTQ equality. Or also, you know, treat queer employees horribly. Right, and even when you look at a lot of the Pride advertisements, in the past it's always been white, muscular men instead of true diversity. And then there's the cost. Well, sure, there are free events, but a lot of the main events are unaffordable. There's also so much corporate branding during the march. And this is a major source of contention because activists say this makes the Pride March feel like a parade. But at the same time, to some, corporate involvement is progress. Last year, I met with Heritage of Pride for a completely separate story about police involvement in the march. One of the Pride officials was telling me how decades ago, they were so excited to get their first corporate sponsor because that meant LGBTQ work at the company were no longer afraid of being fired for being gay. But now that Pride is back, what will it look like? That is a good question, one that we are going to try and answer. But one quick explainer before we get into the story. 
Heritage of Pride is the nonprofit that organizes NYC Pride events. Some of the people we spoke to use those names interchangeably, and so I just want to make sure we are all on the same page. Sudden radicalization, this kid was just doing what America has been doing all along. I am J.W. Walker. I am an activist with the Queer Liberation March, as well as Gays Against Guns and Rise and Resist. There were some activists who focus on just one inequity. Horrible, hateful ideas. Then there's Jay. The history of racism in this country. The foundation. Black gay, and almost a lifelong New Yorker. We connected with him at a rally that wasn't affiliated with any of those groups he just mentioned. On this day, he's protesting a media outlet over how it covers black communities in response to the Buffalo mass shooting. White supremacy and start holding all of the institutions in our culture to account and all of these- Jay believes all injustices are connected. A thin chain, small enough to go unnoticed, but strong enough to link several communities to varying forms of oppression. The entirety of progressive activism has become about those linkages, the linkages between all of the different struggles for rights, for respect, for dignity, for equal protection under the law. So the, the rights of disabled people to have accommodations for their disabilities, the rights for black people to be able to walk around without getting shot by a madman, the rights of women to be able to control their bodies and have, and have reproductive choice and to make medical decisions for themselves. But Jay says he felt that message less and less each year when attending official New York City Pride events. So in 2018, along with the Reclaim Pride Coalition, he began organizing the Queer Liberation March. No police, no corporate sponsors, and no politicians. If you're a politician, you're allied and you're aligned with what we want, absolutely march with us, but we don't want you campaigning. We're not going to give you any sort of primacy of place, you know, you're, but you're, you're welcome to march with us. Jay says this is a return to activism seen decades ago. Christopher Street Liberation Day March back in 1970. Every aspect of what the Queer Liberation March does is about returning to that. So we demand that the NYPD not barricade our route so that we can return to the old slogan of off the sidewalks and into the streets to like tell people to come march with us. You can't do that anymore. The over-policing, obviously, the fact that that makes a lot of people feel very unsafe, feel very uncomfortable. Following complaints from both activists and some in the LGBTQ community, in 2021, NYC Pride announced uniform police would be banned from marching in the parade until 2025 at the earliest. Shortly after that announcement, we spoke to Brian Downey in our in-depth podcast. He's the president of the Gay Officers Action League. This decision creates unnecessary divisions between groups that should be allies. And change doesn't happen without those on the inside willing to fight for it and implement it. NYC Pride says as of this recording, Goal has chosen not to participate in this year's parade. But in addition to accusations of being too cozy with corporations and cops, there were also complaints about a lack of diverse leadership. Enter its new executive director, Sandra Perez. Is there a lot of pressure? Do you feel like you, I don't want to say you have the world on your shoulders, but you know, this is the first pride after the pandemic. Is that a lot of pressure? Well, I wasn't feeling any pressure until you put it in those terms. (laughs) 
Yeah, wow. Now I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I can carry on. Of Puerto Rican descent. Latinx or Latine. And lesbian. Her lived experience as a woman of color with Bronx roots gives her perspective in ensuring the voices of people of color, trans folks, and non-binary folks are amplified this pride. She's excited for this year. The world has changed. The challenges have changed or at least become more apparent, especially within our community. I think people, A, want to find the strength that we all find during Pride, you know, that month where you know you're with people who are part of your tribe. And then the second part is also being able to proclaim that we're here and that we're important and that we want to be seen and heard. When asked if Pride was returning to its activist roots, she said it never left. It has always been about activism, but certainly you can see a lot more of that this year at at the march. Sandra says the organization has heard complaints and done some soul searching. You know, I think when you're stewards in the community, you have to listen very deeply and long and hard. And I think the board and staff really considered what was being said has really moved to become more inclusive and have that reflected in all that we do. She says they've re-examined some relationships. We have taken a real close look at the corporations we partner with. And that included really having some hard conversations. There are one or two that we chose not to partner with this year because we didn't feel we could support their position. Explaining to all of our corporate partners that expectations have changed, right? What our community is expecting of us in terms of how we partner has changed. And in turn, we have to hold our partners to to higher standards. We talk to their employees and, and really try and engage in dialogue that is meaningful and that will also carry forward our concerns. Because we do understand that this is part of the model that a lot of prides are based on, you know, involving corporate support. Being in the pride business isn't always very lucrative. So for us, it's also a matter of making sure that whatever corporate presence we have in the march is also balanced by our community partner presence. In addition, like many organizations, they rely on the human rights campaign Corporate Equality Index to help decide who to partner with. But even that isn't without controversy. In 2021, Fox Corporation earned a 100% rating as one of the best places for LGBTQ people to work. This comes despite those who say Fox News has a reputation for giving airtime to homophobic and transphobic talking points. The HRC did, however, demote Fox News in April of this year. I don't care if you are talking about how good you are to your LGBTQIA2S employees. You know, that's not what Pride is about. Pride is about about standing up for for our rights, for our humanity, standing up against against all the government strictures that are put against our peoples. The criticism to Pride events isn't exclusive to New York City. There have been similar complaints in large cities nationwide for years. I really began to notice this after gay marriage was legalized in 2015. One by one, advocacy groups that focused on marriage equality began to close. Black and trans activists especially urged them not to shut down, saying there was still so much work to do. 
they pointed out how depending on which state you lived in, you could still be fired or lose your housing for being LGBTQ. But some organizations closed anyway. And as some LGBTQ people celebrated through the years, thinking the worst was behind them, others knew that wasn't the case. Fast forward to today. The legislation that we're talking about, to me, is kind of the tip of the iceberg. It just amplifies what we've long known, which is there are a lot of folks who would like to peel back our basic human rights. What's happening in Florida or in some of the southern states or in Texas is, while we may not feel directly threatened by it here, it doesn't mean it can't impact us. And the thinking that is behind that type of legislation isn't confined to one state. There's so many bills limiting the rights of trans children and teens, I can't even give you an exact number because by the time this episode is published, it's likely to increase. That's how quickly these proposed laws are moving. My name is Dee Tumonje. Dee is the communications manager of the National LGBTQ Task Force. They say queer and transgender people of color have been organizing and trying to get full recognition of themselves. Just be able to thrive with housing, with food access. There's a lot of community organizations that have been doing this for a while, trying to tell folks that it's not all about marriage equality. It's really trying to find the spaces where we can be free to love and exist. They say the anti-LGBTQ legislation seen across the country needs to be front and center this June and beyond, including for those who live in progressive areas that may not feel a direct impact from these bills. A lot of these tiny bits of our lives for specifically queer, trans, people of color are being slowly chipped away. There are still people out there that believe that we should not exist, that we are either abominations or that anything that we do in any way that we express ourselves is wrong. So by uplifting our identities, by uplifting our stories, we're able to really tell people that this is still going on, that we are still experiencing discrimination. They say trans children and teens feel targeted, noting these bills induce fear. If there was something we could have done before, I wish we would have done it. But now, knowing that we're here, there's a lot more that we have to do and a lot more where we have to put trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming issues at the forefront. In response to the leaked Roe v. Wade draft opinion, lawmakers in New York state introduced bills to protect those who may travel to the state to get abortion-related care. In addition, Governor Kathy Hochul says the state would direct $35 million to abortion providers for the expected increase of out-of-state patients. And while trans and non-binary people are often left out of pro-choice conversations, activists say that can no longer be the case. The more we recognize the expansiveness of abortion access and reproductive health, the more we can talk about how we can grow our movements and work together to really push for this issue to be more than just a gender issue, more than just the issue of abortion. What it really is, it's an issue of access to healthcare. Reproductive health is something that is essential to everyone, regardless of gender. 
when we look at some of the anti-trans legislation, you know, and compare it to what's happening with Roe v. Wade, what's really at stake is bodily autonomy. What's at stake is the right to access medically proven and scientifically backed treatment. Dee says one light at the end of the tunnel. They do see pride celebrations becoming more inclusive than in years past. In New York City, for example, at the forefront on all their marketing, most of the folks that are being grand marshal or speaking, it's trans folk. And that is intentionally something that all of these pride events are starting to realize that our community is so diverse. It's full of stories and full of amazing leaders. I think that it's incredibly important as American people that we stand up and fight for our rights. I mean, if we don't, they're going to get taken away. Even when we do, they get taken away. So party, protest, or both. For all the celebratory ups of pride, like the connectivity that's similar to a family reunion of sorts, there is also the lows. Civil rights for LGBTQ folks are being reversed. There's one mass shooting after another, and the list goes on. Which is why activists say queer New Yorkers need to remember, not only are we in a republic, but that chain I mentioned earlier, those links are strong. The issues of a trans teen in Texas not being able to access adequate medical care, those are our issues too. The fact that we just had 10 black people mown down by a madman here in New York State, in Buffalo, New York, that guy could have just as easily come into Harlem and shot up a black church or a supermarket. Even though New York does have, is fortunate enough to be a blue state and New York City is a blue city, we can't ever rest on that. We have to make sure that we are protecting ourselves and doing what we can to protect the rest of the country. This is not just an LGBTQ issue. The issues that we're facing are about basic human rights that every New Yorker has a right to. Okay, so definitely a protest. But maybe there's space to hold both things, parties and protests. It's important to be able to get out there and celebrate our existence celebrate the fact that we're a resilient community and take strength from that so that we can advocate for ourselves, so that we can hold people accountable for the decisions they're making that impact us. We can and should be celebrating the things that have brought us this far, but we just need to remember that all those gains were made because activists, that action is still part and parcel of what we need to be embracing as we move forward. An attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. We're going to lift the voices of folks who are are in the reproductive justice movement, as well as folks that are trans, as we always have. Always going to have a Black Lives Matter and a Brown Lives Matter and an abolitionist and a defund ethos to our march. And all of those things are part of the same struggle. And that is incredibly important for Pride to focus on that, as opposed to just dancing. So, Fanny, tell me, what are you going to do this year? Is it going to be party or protest? 
I like the idea of being a little of both. I was very responsible the entire pandemic. And honestly, like, I want to go out and have fun. But at the same time, considering, you know, I've been doing this type of reporting for years and I know just how much attention is needed for marginalized groups. However, my wife has so lovingly signed me up for the Pride Run on that Saturday. I don't know what I'll be doing of anything because I've not actually worked out in a very long time. Have you I practiced? Might not be doing I feel like you are judging me right no, now. No, I'm just I don't asking. Like I, all I know is <laughs> the Saturday of Pride Weekend, I have to leave Brooklyn in enough time to get to Central Park at 8.30 a.m. Okay. Um... But hopefully you will have a better time. So you tell me, party or protest? I feel my partying is a form of protest. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> just being out there loud and proud. I actually think I am going to go to the Queer Liberation March again. I went in 2020. If I feel so inclined, I will go down to Christopher Street and 7th and look at the craziness. I love watching everybody just be crazy in the village and just like <laughs> with the beads and the music thumping, thumping and like the whole, yeah. And then they just walk around you get a nice tan for a minute and then i go and then i go home though i get chinese food though always get chinese food at the end of the day or end <laughs> well, of the you night. have to if you've been drinking exactly and it's a sunday so there's usually a housewives on so i can come home <laughs> i can have chinese food and then the next day you have to work wow well if i don't see you at work i totally understand you might not see me <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to our first episode of It's Okay to Say Gay. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast. We're on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, please rate and review our podcast. It's Okay to Say Gay is a special production of Ten Ten Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. Special thanks to producers Dempsey Pillot and Jill Webb. And of course, a massive thank you to the amazing Andy Egan Thorpe, who produces, mixes music, talks the whole nine. Tim Sheld is the WCBS News Radio brand manager. Ben Meverack is the Ten Ten Wins brand manager. And I'm Femi Redwood. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.